Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Well, hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. I'm so pleased that you're joining us today, and I'm pleased that we have our special guest with us today. Today is a little bit of a different format for Frankie Sense and More. You'll see. Uh, different is still great. Joining me as a co-host is our very own Good Radio Network movie correspondent, Brent Marchand. Brent and I are pleased to introduce you to a very special lady, Betsy Callen. Betsy is an award-winning producer, director, writer at Itchy Bee Productions and Blue Water Media. Betsy's films have been honored with multiple awards at festivals around the world, and her most recent documentary, East L.A. Interchange, was highlighted on NBC LA. It's won 10 jury and audience awards so far, and in 2016, she was the recipient of the Los Angeles Historical Society's J. Thomas Owen Award for illuminating L.A. history. That's pretty cool. She's a featured speaker at conferences and universities and film festivals and community events all over the place, and some of her other films include Hearts Cracked open before homosexuals chained and click welcome betsy we're so pleased to have you today thank you so much i'm really happy to be here i have to say um i absolutely loved the the documentary east la interchange i just thought it was absolutely brilliant and you know i guess in a way a departure from your other films it is it is it um it's a much more historical approach because I follow this neighborhood called Boyle Heights in East Los Angeles from the 1940s all the way to the present. And so I look at the struggles that the community has faced in every single decade from that time. Wow. So where did you actually grow up? Like what was I, home for you? I grew up outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, okay. So a real LA girl. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And then I just followed the path west and ended up in L.A. I've been out here now for 20 years. Uh, OK, so I guess you're assimilated then. You can be a, <laughs> you're, you're naturalized. Is that what they call it? I think so. Yeah. Brent, what, what was your what did you think about the movie? I know. That oh, you I thought it was terrific. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's one of those subjects that kind of slips under the radar for a lot of people. But to see it presented as, as well as it was here. Um, and as informatively as it was here, was just horrendous. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I, I always get so disappointed because all the really good movies, um, and, and I know, Betsy, you said that your wife was from, from Toronto, but all, all the really good movies, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit on the outskirts, and you have to really dig deep if you want to find them. Like, there was no way I, I could, you know, uh, where, I, where I live, your movie was going to be playing. And it seems to me that all the really good movies and documentaries and art films don't play. And I wonder, you know, don't they think that, that moviegoers have a brain and want to see these things? Like, as a director and, and a producer, what is it? Why don't we get these movies? You know, it's just an issue with distribution. And I think, you know, now there's even more avenues for distribution. So I think you'll be able to find more films that are really high quality films online. Um, so that's yeah. changing. But as far as like seeing stuff theatrically, it's still a, a big challenge for people working in indie film and documentaries. 
I imagine it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many great ones and Brent living in Chicago gets to see like fantastic movies all the time. And you think, you know, we're pretty cosmopolitan in Toronto. You think that you get to see them all, but I guess if you go to the film festival, you do, but like I said, on the outskirts, a lot of people miss out because, you know, last weekend, like Brent and I were talking about the movies that were just out and, and I think, um, some silly movie, whatever, just Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, played in five theaters, like five movie theaters inside the big movie theater where, you know, your movie could have been playing or something yes. for a different audience type. Like, I mean, it's crazy. So hopefully you're right. Hopefully we'll, we'll get to see this stuff pretty soon. I know. Well, yes. Boyle Heights is very special. I mean, when, you, you know, you, we started off with Boyle Heights and, and we saw all it's like a microcosm of the world living in one little place. And, and at the beginning, you have, um, you know, Russians and Jews and Japanese and Chinese and, and black people. And like just everybody's living together and they're living together harmoniously. Yeah. And it's like, that's... if they could do that, why do we have all these problems? I think I've, that's the message of our film, really, is that you look at this example of a multi-ethnic community, multiracial, multicultural, everything, yeah. and you see how it worked. And then you also see throughout the film how the government's policies really impacted the community and forced segregation. So. Yeah. I mean, the banks came in and they told the Jews, well, you know, you buy here now, but hey, listen, if you go to these outskirts, we're going to give you a mortgage. Like you're going right. to get a great house. And and so you're kind of forcing these people out of the community by, because they want to become landowners. They want to be, you know. Right. Yes. Yeah. We talk about redlining and how that really impacted people because, you know, Boyle Heights was considered, you know, a multicultural bad neighborhood because it was multicultural. And so, yeah, mortgage lenders just would not give you um, good rates if you wanted to buy a home in the community where you were from. And in areas that were predominantly white, they would give the best rates. So you were really forced to move out of your community. You know, I think it's kind of interesting when you think about diversity. I mean, I live in an extremely diverse country, but when you think about diversity and, and harmony, when you know, they think the whole world would get together if aliens came, right? It's that common goal. So, you know, is it the common goal that there's the struggle in Boyle Heights, but it's, you know, we, we're all from the same and we all got the same and, you know, so they can live together because nobody's upping somebody else. Is that kind of why maybe? I mean, I think it, it was, there's a lot of reasons why the community works so well. Um, again, everybody was forced to live there because of restrictive housing covenants. So mm -hmm. if you weren't white, you couldn't live in parts of Los Angeles. And um, California had some of the worst uh, restrictive housing covenants in the nation. Wow. So that was one reason why people settled in Boyle Heights. And then once they were there, they realized that everyone around them were of the same class background. So everyone was working class. Um, a lot of the people were immigrants, um, first generation, and so they had this common bond. Brent, I mean, you're part of an interracial uh, relationship. Yes. Is, is Brent still with us? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, like, you know, diversity is not new to you. So, like, in Chicago or where you live, how, you know, it's probably very different than Boyle Heights. Well, it depends on the neighborhood. In many ways, Chicago is still very segregated by ethnicity mm -hmm. and background. Um, but there are there are neighborhoods such as where I live on the north side that are more integrated. And 
it's interesting in the fact that you know everybody seems to get along really well here, and it seems to make a difference. I think that's one of the things that maybe you know contributed to a lot of the success of uh, Boyle Heights, and it's something that I could relate to because it's something that I see on an ongoing basis every day here. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're all outsiders, so we're going to bang together and be insiders together. Exactly. And yeah. I think it's important to talk about for the future of our country, especially now that we, you know, our country is so divided, you know, these issues of multiculturalism are even more important now than, let's say, they were back when Boyle Heights was in its heyday. Yeah. You know, one of the things that really, you know, stands out in the in the film and, and really got me was was this idea that you know we're just going to throw all the all and we can say this we're just going to throw all the shit at these people at Boyle Heights they're not you know anybody special so here they build one of the busiest freeway interchanges joining Interstate 5 Interstate 10 U.S. Route 101 California Route 60 they throw all of that at these people thinking "Ah, it doesn't matter you know if they they inhale all the all the fumes or their kids can't breathe or you know they get all these health issues so what they're not part of the in crowd, <laughs> if that's how we're going to call them, right? So, you know, this diverse group. Now, I, I think, think that's beginning to change. I mean, I think I saw in, in your documentary that people are like, no, nah, we're not going to stand up for that one anymore. Well, I mean, they're still fighting major environmental justice battles in Boyle yeah. Heights. I mean, they, they when they built the freeways and displaced 15,000 um, homes and um, people and they didn't think at that time in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, you know, what were going to be the environmental impacts of having a major freeway system go through a neighborhood. And, and in fact, most of the elementary schools are right on top of the freeways. Oh, so just the levels of environmental pollution are extraordinary. And it's battles that, you know, the community is still fighting to this day. And it's the same story across the country. So you'll find that um, when I did my research for the film, I looked at other communities like Chicago um, mm-hmm. across the country that were were having battles with freeways coming through and displacing people. And um, it's the it's a similar story of you know if you're a low income community of color, you face the highest rates of environmental pollution. Wow, it's pretty sick and sad. It, it is. And there's really not enough being done about it, you know, on state level or federal levels. So, I mean, what they're fighting it, but what can they do? I mean, you've got the freeways. There's not a whole lot you can do about that. Like, is there some way to clean up the pollution for the kids? Is there something that we can do about it? Well, I think what they're trying to do is um, get legislation where, um, you know, to stop freeways expansion. Okay. Um, that was a ballot measure that was on the ballot for San Diego just this November, and they wanted to expand the freeway through, again, low-income communities of color. And luckily, they were able to stop that. But, you know, that's one way to do it. The other ways are to reduce truck traffic. Mm. Yeah. And I guess they could re- reduce it during certain hours, too. Exactly. And, to. you know, move the schools. Yeah. Don't have the schools on the highway. <laughs> Good idea. I mean, it's pretty simple when you look at it, right? Let's just move the school. Yeah, it's in, it's so it's so so interesting. Um, Brent, do you have any? We're going to go to a commercial break. We've got a, probably less than a minute. Did you have any words before we go? 
Uh, well, one thing maybe that uh, Betsy wants to think about during the commercial break is it's a fairly simple question is, uh, given the other films that you made and, and given your own background coming from Connecticut and living in California, was there anything in particular that inspired you to do this particular story as a film? Great question. Thanks. All right. Well, we got, we're going to go to commercial break. Don't go anywhere. If you want to join us, you can. You can give us a call. It's 903-787-5887. We'd be happy to have you join our conversation. We will be right back with Betsy Callen and Brent Marchand. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Frankie Sense and more. Heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. evening in 1929, William Lear and Elmer Wavering of Quincy, Illinois, were out driving with their girlfriends. One of the girls suggested it would be even more romantic if they could listen to music. The guys liked the idea and started tinkering with installing a home radio in the car. They sold their idea to a radio manufacturing company and applied for a loan with a local banker to get production started. Thinking it might sweeten the deal, they installed one of their new radios in the banker's vehicle. Unfortunately, the banker's car caught on fire and they didn't get the loan. They must have felt like Dunder Klumpens. Not giving up, they drove to a radio convention and sat outside in the car with the radio blasting. Soon orders were pouring in and taking a cue from the Victrola because their radio was going in a car. They called it the Motorola. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Okay, I need to apologize to Betsy. Her last name is Kaylin, not Callan, um, but you know, as long as you call her, I'm sure she doesn't care. <laughs> Just call her. But it is Betsy Kalen. And before we went to break, Brent had uh Given, given her a question to think about over our break. And Brent, do you want to just reiterate that question? So sure. It was, uh, given, yeah, given, uh, given Betsy's background growing up on the East Coast and living in, in L.A. now, and also given the nature of her other films, um, what was it about this particular story that inspired her to make a film out of this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, I had heard about Boyle Heights because – it was one of the largest Jewish populations uh, west of Chicago, and I'm Jewish, um, and our executive producer, his parents uh, lived in Boyle Heights. And so he's the one who came to me with this idea of doing a documentary about Boyle Heights, 
And then we brought on two producers who are also from Boyle Heights. So Vanessa Luna Bishop and Ruby Gomez. And so we, we had, even though I'm the outsider in the mm -hmm. project, I felt like I had this intimate knowledge of the community and what made it so unique and what made it so special. And in my own background, I really love stories about activism and people who mm -hmm. really had to stand up and fight for their beliefs and try to make the world better and do it together working in community. I mean, that's, that's a theme throughout my films is about people who are very passionate about things and, and really believe that it's changing the world through their their beliefs and their fights and their activism. And so that that's really what drew me drew me to the story and the community was I love that. So Boyle Heights still has a synagogue? It does. It has it has the Breed Street Show, but it is no longer an active synagogue. It's now um, a community center. Okay. And and but I I loved it in the film there were there was one um Oh, I don't remember his name, but he was African-American and he said, you know, I, I speak Ru Russian and, and Chinese or something, you know, and I love that. I just love that they all, you know, mingled so much like that. They, they yeah, I mean, you're going to eat chop suey or whatever it is that you're going to, you know, like everybody's going to taste a little bit and, and incorporate it into their diet, into their language, into just everything that they do. And that's pretty, that's really cool. And, you know, I guess the delis are gone and then, you know, the Jews moved out. And, and the Latinos have moved in. But I, I find that, you know, there's an area here where I live in Scarborough where all the immigrants go. It's like the, the first landing place, I guess. Mm -hmm. And everybody has, you know, it used to be the Jews and the Italians. And then, you know, it became the Polish. And then it became uh, the Chinese. And now it's probably, you know, Indian or Thai or whoever. But it changes as, as, as these waves come through. Yeah, I think I think what... What was so, and that was Jeter, by the way, who said that. I, I yeah. love Jeter; he's a great guy. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it, in Boyle Heights, it was multicultural and multiracial for a very long time, um, up until the '70s when it became predominantly Latino and and mostly Mexican American. Um, so now it's really one of the centers of Mexican American culture in the U.S., but. You know, the people who have lived there for, you know, years and years, they still remember their neighbors who are Russian and Japanese and Jewish. And, you know, it's it's just it provides people with a really unique perspective that is that is important to know, you know, when you go out in the rest of the world and you meet people from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. you know, you, you feel familiar and you can relate to them. And, you know, it really fights against racism and stereotyping. I love that. Um the Japanese gentleman came back and, you know, when the Japanese were interred uh, during the world war, it was world war two, one, two, um, they, um, you know, he said that they buried their, 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 um, you know, the goods, they buried all, all, all the stuff that they really wanted to keep. And, and, and so he came back and, and one of the gentlemen came out with, with an urn that had been in his home. And like, how special is that? He goes, here, that, but this is amazing. This is, yeah. That was that happened live, like you see it in the documentary, and yeah. that happened live in front of us. Like wow. we had brought Cedric, um, who's now ninety-seven. Nice. So we had brought him back to his old home in Boyle Heights, and was talking to the family that lives there now and Saul. And he, as we were introducing him to Saul's parents, um, his dad 
all of a sudden said, oh, my gosh, and like ran off camera and came back with this vase that had been on Cedric's family's mantle back in the 1940s and wow. presented it to him. And it was very emotional. Like we were all completely crying. And you know. I can just imagine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, that was a special. That was very special. That how, really how was a very, very touching moment. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. How crazy, though, to think they buried their, you know. Well, they lost everything. I mean, yeah. Japanese all over California yeah. lost, I mean, their businesses, their farms, their houses. Like, But there were a few instances of neighbors, um, and even in Boyle Heights, who watched over the houses for years while the families were interned. And then they had a place to go when they came back. Wow. That's special. It really speaks to community, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Now, it, I, I think I read it took you nine years to do this documentary. It did, yes. Wow. <laughs> that's dedication. Yeah, that's a really, is that like, is that atypical of the movies that you do? Uh, you know, I think for documentaries, I think the average is between five and seven years. So, uh-huh. yeah, I, you know, and the issues were really about funding. So I think that's a problem that many documentary filmmakers face is trying to get the funding to produce your films. And most people have no idea how costly they are um, to make. How much do you need to, to make a film like that? Well, I mean, the average budget for documentaries is around 500000 Wow. Um, and that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And people just don't realize, you know, like every archival image, every photo, every footage, like all of that is thousands and thousands of dollars when you add it up. Yeah. So and then that's not to, you know, you you have to pay for cameras and gear and crew and, you know, so it's it's a very expensive process. Yet, you know, at the end, our hope is that the film will help. Uh, transform people's lives and you know change communities and inspire people to get active in their own communities so that's what you really you want to see happen and um you know fortunately we've been doing really wonderful with educational distribution and our film is in you know colleges and universities all across the country and we're just getting started to do more community outreach so are people donating that's so yes, please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're fundraising right now for our community outreach campaign. And and in fact, the film is not in any Boyle Heights schools yet or the libraries. Oh. So the libraries don't have a friends group like most libraries. And mm-hmm. so they just can't afford to purchase the, the DVD. Oh, wow. I'm sure somebody will donate it. So that would be amazing. Yeah. So that's what we're hoping because, you know, there's three public libraries in Boyle Heights and we think that, you know, the schools from grades six through 12 really should have this film and, you know, allow the students to feel. So how much would that cost to donate that? Um, With the public performance uh, rights and license, it's $295. $295? Oh, okay. Well, that's not that much. No, (laughs) that much. (laughs) Come on, folks. We can get that. We can do that. Certainly, they deserve to have it. How did Boyle Heights get its name? I know, um, I, I, you know, I know Father Boyle's around, but did it come yeah. from him? <laughs> I know. I mean, that's what we think is great. We we interviewed Father Craig Boyle from Homeboy Industries and yeah. Boyle Heights, and everybody's like, "Is he? Is that why it's called Boyle Heights?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. I think that's a great idea. But no, it was. Um, 
it was just someone who came and and settled. I, I, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Boyle, and that's what gave it its name. In fact, when it, the L.A. was first getting founded, it was Boyle Heights was a very prosperous area. Well, it was uh, Irish, wasn't it? Um, well, the, yeah, Boyle was Irish, but it wasn't. It was it was mixed, but it was um, it was where you had like orange groves and huge Victorians, and oh, okay. um, yeah, so that was right at, around the turn of the century. So there's been a lot of creatives come out of Boyle Heights. So a lot of a lot of people who really, you know, that we know that we've seen on on in movies and TV, people with a lot of talent. Can you tell yeah. us about some of them? Well, Will I Am is in our film, and yeah. um, he's uh, you know really well known as a musician with the Black Eyed Peas. But also he's he's very interested in STEM and and STEM learning, and so he has a foundation that works with I Am College Track in Boyle Heights and helps students go successfully through high school and through college. Nice. So, it's a really wonderful program. And so he's one of the people we interview because he grew up in the projects in Boyle Heights. I really love it when I hear stories like that, where people are going to come back and do what they're going to do. Like, you know what? Like, it's so great because too many times they don't. And, and I think about, you know, how many famous people that we, that we, you know, hear about and they got, you know, tons of money and you think, you know what? Like you've got community you could be sharing that with and they don't. It's like, well, you know, I, I have the talent, but I, I always have a big problem with, you know, people who are, are blessed with a lot of talent and then, you know, the rest of them didn't get it. So too bad for you, you know? Right, right. Like, yeah, it was really wonderful to have him in there and talk about, you know, what it meant growing up in Boyle Heights for him and just how precious he views the community that, you know, now he's giving back. And, and the senator. I thought she was very impressive. Yeah, Senator uh, Lucille Royval Allard yeah. uh, is wonderful, and and you know her family. She's a legacy family. Um, her father is Ed Royval, who was um, I think the first Latino to the LA City Council, um, and then also elected I think the first Latino in a hundred years to Congress. Isn't so, that crazy, eh? The and first Latino was, in 100 years to come. He stayed for, what, 30 years, didn't he? Yes, he was there for such a long time, and he was a real powerful voice for the community. And, um, and he was elected because of a coalition between Japanese, Jews, African Americans, and Latinos. Oh, wow. So, so he was really elected the popular, you know, he was the popular voice for everyone who lived there. That's crazy. I just can't even imagine that, you know, he's the first and only, like, Wow, in 100 years. Yeah, and it was it's, amazing because Boyle Heights didn't have anything before he got elected, and then finally they had a voice and someone to fight for them. And they they definitely need it. You know, we talked about we yeah. talked about the expressways and all of the stuff that, you know, gets down to these people who have no money and no voice. We are going to go to another commercial break, and when we come back, we have more to talk to Betsy about. And Brent, you've got some movie reviews too. Um, I want to talk a bit about your other movies if we can. And uh, <laughs> for those of you who are listening, stick around. Don't go anywhere because we're going to come right back with Betsy and Brent and me. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso, and you're listening to Frankie Sends Some More. Heck no, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sends and More will be right back after we pay the bills. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. 
So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. How much sleep is enough per night? Eight hours? Six hours? Studies show that people who sleep between six and a half and seven and a half hours per night live the longest. But sleep deprivation affects about 27% of U.S. adults. Time magazine released a study showing how sleep and overeating are intertwined. The article cited a report from an American Heart Association conference that showed growing evidence that links healthy weight with getting adequate sleep. It showed that sleep deprivation is associated with overeating. In the study, people who were sleep deprived ate more than 500 additional calories a day. Adequate sleep is important for many reasons, but this research proves that proper sleep is imperative to maintaining a healthy weight. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. We're back. You're listening to Frankie Sensen Moore. It's a beautiful Thursday here. It's sunny and one of the first sunny days we've had in a long time. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're here with Bessie Kalin and Brent Marchant. Brent, you've been quiet. Let's hear your voice. How rare for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I was wondering was, um, uh, given what's been going on in Boyle Heights, is, is there anything particular from the activism standpoint that uh, other cities with neighborhoods say somewhat similar to this can draw from the Boyle Heights experience as like a template for uh, solving their own particular issues? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because I really think um, just the level of activism in Boyle Heights is really um, just so impressive because, you know, right now they're on the front lines of the fight with displacement and gentrification mm-hmm. um, as is happening in communities all across the country. And, you know, as I, as I tour the country with this film, that's the major questions that I get asked after the screenings are, you know, what can we do about gentrification and displacement? You know, people are, are just getting forced out of their neighborhoods because of rising costs and, um, and the thing that you can do is you join organizations. There's, you know, a number of organizations that are active in Boyle Heights, um, nonprofits that are working to um, create other methods of dealing with displacement and gentrification. So like community land trusts, um, uh, fighting, you know, the what happens when art galleries come in, what happens, you know, when landlords start forcing people out because they raise their rent 300%. Yeah. You know, th- these are all immediate issues that are facing the community and communities across the country. So, and, and what are they doing? 
they so have that's what they're doing. Group. They're organized. Yeah. yeah. So there's a bunch of different organized organizations and um, they're having meetings and protests and they're just making sure that, you know, people really look at gentrification against the community as um, it's like it's violence. It's violence yeah. against the people living there. And yeah. people just they don't think of it in that way. They think, yeah. oh, you know, we're just going to develop this and do this. And they don't realize, you know, people have lived there for years and years and this is their home and you can't just come in and force people out. But there's so much in-house talent. Let's call it that in-house talent there, you know, that they with some assistants, you know, be their own entrepreneurs, you know, they could have their own art galleries. I mean, they, um, uh, Javi has his theater and, and, you know, like the people that are there, they, they, they have their own, um, not that, that they want to rebuild everything, but they, you know, uh, for themselves, they can do it for themselves. They don't need well, outsiders to come in. That's that's exactly the point. I mean, yeah. it should be from within the community, what the community wants and mm-hmm. how they want it. You know, it, it shouldn't be people coming in and saying, okay, now, you know, we're going to raise your rent $800 a month. Yeah. And, you know, throw you out. And But it was more diverse before Betsy, right? I mean, it was more diverse and now it's primarily Latino, if I'm yes, not mistaken. So- it is. What happens when other outsiders come in now? Are they like outed? Are they, you know, like, no, you can't come in. We're like, no, no. I mean, it's so it's now it's it's predominantly Latino, but there's always been families who are African American and Japanese American who have stayed and remained in the community. So, so outsiders coming in, it's not so much about, you know, outsiders are coming in, it's about how these outsiders are coming. Yeah. I, these know, were two different things I was talking about. Sorry, yeah. I should have been more clear. But I, I, you know, I've got a Gemini brain. Sometimes these things come to <laughs> me, and I'm like having ten conversations at the same time. Uh, I do have a problem like that. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that that I get, and and I think it's important that they be receptive to, you know, there people who who need a home and people who who um, not trying to change it for because they want to uh, make money off the backs of other people there or they take their houses and you know turn them into mansions and things like that but just looking for you know an immigrant looking for a home mm-hmm. you know and just like they were at one at one time right you um i just want to get your website out it's interchangefilm.com if you want to go to that website i know you have another but you can go to that website and learn more about this film and you can write to um, Betsy, I think at info at East LA interchange film.com. So make sure that you write that down East LA interchange film.com and, and go to that website. I'm still working on the 295 and how we can get, uh, raise some money. doesn't seem it's not a lot of money at all. And the people in Boyle has definitely the libraries should have this film. It's a fantastic film and, and for anybody to watch. And, but especially if it's, you're part of that community, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, in fact, we're actually having a free public screening on June 10th in oh. Hollenbeck Park in Boyle Heights. It's sponsored by the council member, um, Jose Huizar, and we're going to have um, the film shown we- with Spanish subtitles. Oh, so neat. that way it's accessible to everyone in the community. So we're really excited about that screening coming up. Is it going to be inside or outside? Outside in the park. Fun. Yeah, fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. Um, the rest of us, how can we see the film? 
So we're going to be, right now, it's only available for educational distribution, but we'll be opening it up um, later this year. And so then it'll be available for home use and streaming. Um, okay. Is that because, so, it's, is it is it like costly to make it or can you do on demand with it or how? Yeah, so hold it's, it's a whole process. So um, so with, uh, we have to print another version of the DVD. So we currently have one right now that's just for universities. And so then you have to, you know, invest in doing another version for home use. So we're, we're. Does something they, change in it? Is there a different yeah, focus? Yeah, so you have two different. Yeah, so you have uh, two okay. different versions. So, and for universities, they generally um, they like certain um, the way you lay out the contents and oh, I you, know, see. you know we have closed captioning and Spanish subtitles and things like that. Okay, cool. Um, this was an all female crew. Yes, that's fun. That was awesome. That I mean, I have to say that it was very empowering to have, you know, um, myself as the director and Gretchen Worthen was our, our DP, our director of photography. And then um, we had our sound, um, which was Melissa Miller and Lisa Gillespie. And, you know, our PAs were women. And it was just um, our still photographer was Chris Chu. So we really, it was a wonderful experience to be able to to film this with just a, such a collaborative environment. How fun is that? Brent, um, you must be chomping at the bit here. <laughs> I'm being patient. No. <laughs> I was just wondering, have there been any new particular challenges that have arisen in Boyle Heights since you finished filming? Yeah, I mean... It's been really challenging with displacement and gentrification. It's really increased um, since we stopped filming. And the film's got, it was released in 2015. And things have really heightened with more art galleries um, jumping over the river from uh, the Arts District in downtown LA to Boyle Heights because they are right next to each other. And I mean, and people who study gentrification know that that's one of the first signs is when art galleries start moving into the neighborhood. And so groups like Defend Boyle Heights have been very active um, protesting the galleries and talking to people in the community to help them understand, you know, that this is the process and the thing that they can do to help protect their community is really to get the art galleries out. Oh, they have to go. They have I, to go. I was thinking that like in Canada, you know, that maybe uh, 80% has to be local, local art. Well, that would be great um, if, if that was the case, but that's not really, I mean, these are multi-million dollar galleries. Yeah. Well, they're artistic people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a lot of art in the community. It's yeah. really, it's the center of, you know, uh, Chicano murals. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's this amazing, art. vibrant art artist community, but that's not, I mean, the point is more about, you know, these galleries coming in and starting yeah. the rise in property values. And, you know, it's also a 90% renter community. Right. So, you know, if your landlord's up your rent, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, I hate that, but you know, hopefully they get, they, they can band together and, and stop and stop this and keep their homes and keep their culture and keep all of that stuff. So um, if you want to help them, what, what can we do if we want to help them? 
Well, you can go online and um, check out some groups. Um, like I said, there's Defend Boyle Heights. There's yeah. uh, Union de Vecinos, which does wonderful work in housing um, in the community. Um, and just um, there's the East L.A. Community Corporation. Um, so there's there's just there's a wonderful amount of groups that have been working on this issue for years and years. I'm going to um, change tracks, and I have to ask, because I just thought this was so funny, um, and I don't know why, but it did seem funny, that on your film, Chains, I had no yes. idea that Chains <laughs> were such, <laughs> such, such, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Um, so important in the world of, of lesbians. <laughs> like, what <laughs> is that? So, so Chained was a film that I made. So this film took nine years, and in the nine it years- It took nine that, years, too? No, no, oh, but oh, during the nine, nine years, years right. I, I worked on um, three other films and Chained was one of those films that I made just for fun. I wanted to have a film <laughs> from conception to completion yeah. um, and it was, it took a year exactly to get to out the there <laughs> and it's really fun. It's a fun uh, look at why lesbians love wallet chains, like what wallet chains mean to them and why they are the number one consumers in the country. I had no idea. I thought skateboarders were. So <laughs> well, they're, they're also a significant population who love wallet chains, as well as rockers, like anybody in rock music, right? Yeah. So, so are there brands that, that, you know, give you social status? or no, no, I think it's more like, you know, if you have the original, like, custom-made chains, uh, okay. that kind of thing, and the weight and how long they are. So, and it, it goes back to Zoot Suits. In the okay. 1940s, so that How whole cool idea, that? and that, and then it even goes back further to pocket watches. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Brent, did you hear? Have you? Did you know that? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you you learn something new every time you listen to this show. So <laughs> oh, there's another reason to tune in. Learn about different stuff. <laughs> We're gonna go to commercial break in just under a minute, but um, you have as I mentioned at the top um, of the show, that you do have a, more different um, uh, documentaries and videos that you've done. So Hearts Cracked Open was one. We talked about Chained, Click. Um, and and I, I do want to talk to you about um, Hearts Cracked Open when we come back from our break because uh, it's about, you know, female tantric sex. And it, it it's very interesting. It sounds amazing. And I think that there was a, a line that I read that somebody said it's um, – something like the best sex you can have with your clothes on or something <laughs> like that. So, that sounded interesting. Anyway, so let's talk about, let's talk about everything Betsy on our way back. Here we go. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. It's words you never heard. Why does music give us chills? Goosebumps, or the medical term peripolation, occurs while listening to music. That's because music stimulates a reward pathway in the brain, encouraging dopamine to flood the striatum, a part of the forebrain activated by addiction, reward, and motivation. Melomaniacs or passionate music lovers can get the chills from songs they are familiar with as they anticipate that long-awaited chord at the climax of the piece. Music, it seems, affects our brains the same way that chocolate gamma 
gambling and potato chips do. I think I may need to stick to chocolate and potato chips because I tried piano lessons and I felt like a goostrum noodle. What's a word for a person who dislikes practicing the piano? A mesodactocletist. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. With 64% of American adults being obese or overweight, we are in the midst of a national crisis. Being overweight and inactive has a high price tag. The American Heart Association states that the consequences of being physically inactive are staggering. The extra weight that Americans are carrying around costs us physically and financially. Obesity costs American companies over $225 billion per year in health-related productivity losses. The average health care cost exceeds $3,000 per person annually. An obese employee costs their employer an additional four. $160 to $2,500 in medical costs and sick days per year. If being overweight is something you struggle with, it's not too late. Make that positive choice to exercise daily and eat fresh, low-calorie foods. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Well, we're back, and you're here, too, so thanks for staying. It's Frankie Picasso from Frankie Sense and More. Brent Marchand is here, and our special guest, Betsy Kalin, is here. Um, we were going – I asked Betsy. I said I wanted to hear about her other movies, Hearts Cracked Open. Tell us about that. Why did you that, make that movie? Where did that idea come from? Well, I made that because um, I was interested in spirituality and, um, and sexuality, and there really wasn't anything out there for lesbians. Um, and I was interested in the tantric practices, but all the books that I read, you know, said it was uh, between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing there that was available for two women. And it turns out that's actually wrong. And as part of Tantra, so. yeah, as part of Tantra, you're supposed to have masculine and feminine energy within yourself. Right. So energy gazing into somebody's eyes, like you could do that. Male, you can, anybody can do that. Yeah, you can do that yeah. to your dog, you know, yeah. you can sit down and gaze lovingly into, so, <laughs> I mean, it just didn't make any sense. And so I started doing research, um, for myself and found out that, yeah, really nothing existed. And that this was an area that I thought could be really helpful for women who have suffered like sexual abuse and sexual trauma. Um, and, um, and I thought it was also a beautiful practice that people needed to learn more about. Mm -hmm. So. And it, it turned out that the movie, you know, was very successful. Um, at, it showed at uh, LGBTQ film festivals all over the world and had screenings at community centers all over the world and everything. But I found out that also a lot of um, heterosexual women are using the film. So it has practices at the end. Um, so you can actually watch the film and be inspired and then do your own self-practice, which nice is it's a wonderful very empowering um and wonderful way to get in touch with your spirituality love it you know yeah i mean really i can't imagine if, if we're sexual creatures how it could just be for one you know heterosexual 
uh, like you said, you know, you can gaze lovingly into your dog's eyes and <laughs> not that I want to have sex with my dog, but no, you know what? No, I do love him very, very much. <laughs> that's the, I mean, Tantra is, everybody thinks that it's Tantra is all about sex, but it's yes. not about sex. It's so much as it's about working with sexual energy. Yes. And like, I think you well, said Kundalini cult- sexual energy. Exactly. It's yeah. working with Kundalini. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of people go on yoga retreats, Kundalini yoga retreats. They may not be calling it tantric sex, but hey, <laughs> that's what you're working with. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, Brent, um, have you ever done, looked into tantric sex? Not with my dog. Forget that. Let's wipe the slate. There's no dogs involved. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> Although I did hear from some couples when they practice and they sit in the yabyum position and they look lovingly into each other's eyes that their pets, like cats and dogs, will jump in their laps. Uh, like they just love the yumminess of like the energy. And, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, I feel love. I feel love. <laughs> I think whenever um, I hug my husband or somebody, my dog is right there. I think yeah. it just wants to be in part of the action. <laughs> Don't leave me out. Yeah. So, um, Brent, what what movies did you want to talk about today? Well, in, right right now the, the the pickings are kind of slim so far this summer. Um, I have two that I'm I'm interested in right now. One is uh, in theaters and limited release, and the other one is just come out not long ago on um, Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, the one that's in theaters right now is an, is an Israeli film that I first saw at the Chicago Film Festival last fall called One Week in a Day. And it's a story of a middle-aged couple that loses a son to illness who's in his 20s. And it's, it sounds like um, the kind of movie that would be sort of sad and morose and so forth, but mm-hmm. not entirely. It, it's, uh, it's about a couple that's never had an experience like this and is really kind of trying to figure out exactly how they want to grieve. And in some ways they do it by following some of the um, traditional methods like sitting Shiva and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, going through the, the traditional grieving process. But in other ways they try to come up with some ways where they can really remember who their son was and it ends up getting to be kind of um, kind of funny, kind of goofy in some ways. So more a so, celebration. Yeah, and and also yeah. it's it, it's also pushing the parents outside of their own comfort zones in terms of uh, things that um, that their son may have been involved with that they themselves were never previously involved with. Oh. Um, so it's interesting in the fact that it gives you a very different kind of take on a subject that ordinarily would probably be treated as you know. Totally yeah, solemn and and totally you know um, boo hoo hoo all the way through. So yeah. you get a nice balance of of tears and laughter throughout this one. Oh, that's wonderful! I'd love to see. And it's in um, is it in Hebrew? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, and it's it's in limited release in theaters right now. I'm sure it'll probably be coming to um, DVD probably not too far not too far in the future. One week so. in a day. Yes. Yes. And the other movie that I like is, um, this was a theatrical release that came out in December um, called Miss Sloan, featuring oh, Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. And it was it's interesting. This is a, a political thriller that kind of slipped in underneath the radar um, in, in the, um, the midst of the award season releases. I think it kind of got lost and overshadowed by some of the some of the better known films. And it's actually a little bit unusual in the fact that this had a major studio behind it. 
but it's really terrific. Um, Jessica Chastain gives a tremendous performance in the lead role as this high-powered lobbyist who is just, you can never know, guess exactly what's up her sleeve as she's trying to uh, bring about results for the particular campaign that she's working on. Uh, and she's backed by a terrific cast, including people like uh, John Lithgow and Sam Waterston, Allison Pill, um, Christine Baranski, uh, just a really terrific cast. All those cast really great people. Here. Yeah. 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 That was it, a it, really good film. I, I yeah. love it. And Jessica Chastain has to be on my top list right now after Zookeeper's Wife. I just loved her in that. You know, she gets better with everything that she does, and she's yeah. showing an increasing range that I didn't, I wasn't aware that she originally had, but uh, she just keeps getting better and better with everything that she does, and she's absolutely terrific in this. Uh, she was nominated for a Golden Globe. I'm, I'm really kind of sorry that she didn't get an Oscar nomination, too, because I thought she was terrific. What did you think, uh, Betsy? I love that film. I thought yeah. it, I thought it was really well done and really interesting. Um, very, you know, very apropos today. I thought, um, and I thought Jessica Chastain was just fantastic. And of course, I love her for all that she's doing for women in the film industry. Yeah, you know, I, I just what I loved about it was it's probably one of the few films that I wasn't sitting there going, I know what's going to happen next, because you didn't yeah. know what was going to happen next. Like it was really cool. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one of the film's strengths. The twists and turns all the way throughout the movie when you yeah. think you when you think you know what's gonna happen then it doesn't. Yeah. Or it takes a different direction. It's just really very well done, very well handled. Did you see the Israeli film, Betsy? No, I didn't no. get a chance to see that. Yeah. Um I didn't get to see it either, but I would like to see it. It sounds interesting. You know, there's something to be said for um sitting Shiva. <laughs> Well, you know, when I first saw the movie at the at the Chicago Film Festival last year, you know, it was one of those movies that I kept thinking to myself while I was watching it. I really hope this gets, you know, a mainstream release at some yeah. point. And um, I didn't know if it had much of a chance for doing it, but it got picked up and it's out there now. So, yeah, nice. it's great when I, it's great when you see something at a festival that you really like that ends up getting recognized and yeah. into distribution because it really validates the film. Yes. Now, I loved Zookeeper's Wife. I thought she was brilliant in that, too. I, I know we reviewed that before, but it's still one of my favorite movies. And I didn't want to go see it because I was oh, I don't want to see another World War II. I don't want to see another Jewish movie. I don't want to see another Holocaust. But it wasn't. It was just fantastic. I'm really glad I went. So hopefully we'll have a better summer <laughs> film season than what we've had so far. It's been a little disappointing up to this point, but you know it's still early, and uh, there's always a holdout for hope. So, <laughs> well, we were all talking about seeing Wonder Woman. <laughs> I mean, what's right. coming up? What? Yeah, here we are. <laughs> I know. I've already bought my ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. I mean, they keep reaching back for, you know, uh, these boomers and. I guess. I don't know if that's well, it. Or this not. one took 40 years to make. So, 40 years. 40 wow. years they've been wanting to make it, and it's the first female superhero movie. So, and, and it's getting fantastic reviews, and I'm very excited to see it and support a female director and a female superhero. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I, as we've been sitting here, um, 
I know we're on Toginet today, but we're going to be on the good radio tonight. And the good radio is all about social impact. And so Betsy, I'm going, I'm going to commit to donating one of those, your videos to the library. Thank that's so wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think it's really important that, that these kids and whoever gets to see, gets to see this movie and have it in their community and have it stay in their community. So you're welcome. You have to let me know after how that gets done, but yes, I, it would be very easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just give us the money. <laughs> but no, I just feel it's really important. And that's, you know, we're all about um, talk radio doing a world of good. And um, so that's what we have to do. We have to do a world of good. And there you go. I am so glad that you came, that you agreed to come on the show today. I am just thrilled that you're here and I, I know people listening, I've been getting some Skype uh, calls on the other, the other, uh, you know, no, that we can't hear, see and hear here, but people are, are thrilled and they're looking forward just to talking to you too. So um, that's really cool. Brent, do you have anything to add? We've got two minutes left. Uh, well, I was wondering what, uh, what, what's next for Betsy? Uh, thanks for asking. Yes. So I'm, I, I have three projects actually oh. that I'm, I'm, working on with documentaries like I said you work on many different projects at the same time just because you never know what's going to get funding and where you're going to have to go next so but I'm very excited to work on one that's called Phoenix the history of women's resistance in the peace movement Love it. and I'm looking at um, the 20th and 21st century and how women have been active in all of the struggles to promote peace and social justice around the world. Nice. That's a good message and we're going to need it. And we need it today more than ever. Yeah, yes. for sure. For sure. And, you know, you, you look at the, the willing, the, I can't even speak with the women who showed up in, in Washington for the, for the, you know, um, that was amazing. So women, yeah, they're out there and they're getting and they're going to come together and uh, you're going to, this movie is going to inspire them so much. I can't I wait. So I'm very yeah. excited. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that one person can change the world and many, many people can do it even easier. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Um, Betsy Kalin, again, was our guest the movie, her documentary is called East LA Interchange, eastlainterchangefilm.com. You can go to the website and, uh, and check it out. And hopefully you'll be able to see it shortly. That'd yeah, be awesome. Very soon. Yeah, very thank soon. you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Thanks, Brent, for your reviews and for joining me as a co-host today. I really appreciate it. And My pleasure. Betsy, thank you again for coming on our show and being our guest. Thank you. And thanks, Karina, for producing the show today. She know you, she the one way to turn the world, world around. She know you, she the one way to make you smile.